0: The bamboo bends in the wind, but never breaks.
1: I love Uh, that saying. Yeah, it's wonderful. (laughs) Hi, you are listening to the podcast Inside the Box. Things and people in a globalized world produced by the Museum of World Culture and the Center for Critical Heritage Studies at the University of Gothenburg, in collaboration with Folkuniversitetet. Kimonos are not what you think they are. The Japanese word literally means the thing to wear. Kimonos has throughout history been worn by men, women and even children. They are considered both genderless and classless. And once you know that... Your understanding of the kimono changes, doesn't it? Today, we will talk about the passion of kimonos with two enthusiasts. One is Anna Jackson, the curator of Kimono Kyoto to Catwalk, an exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum in London, and visiting the Museum of World Culture in Gothenburg in 2021. The second kimono enthusiast is Miyako, Godfrey, whose personal collection of kimonos is also visiting the Museum of World Culture in 2021. Miyako is also a fashion tailor and a prop maker. My name is Helen Arvidsson. I'm a curator here at the museum, and I'm today's host. Welcome. Welcome to you, Anna.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Good to have you. And welcome to you, Miyako.
2: Hi. Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: It's a pleasure to have both of you as my guests today on today's episode of Inside the Box. Let us see what's actually inside the box today. There is um, a, what I think quite a small kimono. Uh, it is. It has a greenish color, green-blue. Um, it has a big bird on it. Golden pattern. Uh, I would guess it's an eagle. Uh, it has a couple of branches of some sort. Um, yeah. Miyako, what, what is this? What are we seeing here?
2: Well, this is uh, a kimono that I inherited from my great-grandmother. She had a small collection of her own that I inherited when she unfortunately passed away. She, um, she traveled a lot through Asia. Uh, her second husband was a um, professor in language. And he spoke six languages and all of them Asian and so they used to travel a lot and they traveled through Japan um uh, probably once a year and she would buy kimonos at antique shops or they were given to her as gifts and this is one of them that she was given in a trip I think she, it was given to her in 1992 would you do you know when it's
1: from kendo? would you know was it a contemporary one at that time?
2: It was given to her as a gift. It's supposed to be in 1974, 1975, around there. Uh,
1: So I know you actually, in terms of this specific one, you want to ask Anna a question, right?
2: Yeah. Um, Anna, isn't this very similar to one that's already in the exhibition? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, It's very,
0: very similar. So in the uh, kimono exhibition that's opening in Gothenburg soon we have a garment exactly the same as this a baby's garment in fact and it has very very similar design of what is an eagle on a rock surrounded by pine trees so these kind of uh, garments would be worn by a baby now you said it was small but obviously for a baby it's quite big it's huge so then it's <laughs> like draped over the child rather than actually worn as we would think of wearing. And it would be worn by a baby um, when they were about, th- usually, traditionally about 30 days old, and be taken to uh, a Shinto shrine to be blessed. It's kind of like the Japanese equivalent of perhaps having a christening in Western culture. So you just get a, a Shinto priest to bless the baby uh, for, for a healthy, a long life. And The design of the eagle tells us that this would have been worn by a baby boy rather than a girl. So girls tend to have flowery kind of images and that kind of thing, whereas a boy had an eagle. It was traditionally a kind of birds of prey were associated with samurai culture and it represents a sort uh, sort of strength and courage, the kind of attributes you might want a young boy to
1: have that's fantastic did you know any of this no
2: that's kind of interesting because my sibling was born that year and i think maybe because she was expecting a grandchild maybe she was given it by that family that was there as a gift um if in case it was a boy now i got a sister but that's really (laughs) fascinating to know where this kimono actually had like what it's used for
1: and that there's a rich rich story behind it yeah. Exactly.
0: And often um, children would wear them again. There's a, something called the Shichigo San ceremony. That means seven, five, three. And these are particularly noted as sort of particularly important moments in a child's development. So um, <clears throat> the baby might, as it became a bit older, might wear the same garment again for one of those kind of ceremonies, which for boys is usually the one where
1: they're aged five. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we're fortunate of to to have this one in front of us and to look at it. But for the listeners who might not be as familiar um, with the kimono as you guys are, let us go back to the basics. Um, perhaps not everyone knows the details. Uh, how? What is a kimono? How is it made, etc. So in the exhibition, you have a part where you're deconstructing the kimono. So let's do that now. Um, okay. Let, let's tell tell us first, Anna, about the different parts that a uh, kimono is made of. Let's start there.
0: Yeah, well, as you say, the kimono just means simply the thing to wear. And in, in some ways, it is quite a simple garment. It's, it's made from one length of cloth. It's about 12 meters in length, quite narrow, about 40 centimeters wide. And it's just cut into sections. And one section hangs from... Uh, on one side of your body hangs from a hem goes up over the shoulder and down the back same on the other another two bits for the sleeve uh, slightly slimmer bits for the overlap and a bit other bits for the collar so whereas in the west we tend to sort of cut into the fabric to make particular shapes we make our garments we use sort of darts or, or pleats or whatever to to sort of give it a shape the kimono is very very simple it has these very straight lines that's most characteristic feature and it just wraps very simply left side over right around the body and is secured uh, not with buttons or toggles or anything but just with a waist sash called an obi and i think the simple shape is probably related to how in japan people sort of perceive the relationship between the body and the clothes, again, in the West, we have, we think of our clothes as things, historically, if we look at the changes of fashion, it's about uh, clothing that emphasises or perhaps sometimes suppresses particular parts of the body. It's like, where's the waistline and the, what the bust is like. In Japan, there's no real relationship between the clothes and the shape of your body. So everybody can wear about it, no matter what shape you are, which obviously is an advantage in some ways. You don't have to worry that you're not as skinny as the person you're standing next to. Um, And it's, it's really all about what's happening on the surface of the cloth. That's important. You know what patterns are decorating it. You know what colours they are used or what techniques are used, and that tells you all about the person who's wearing it or the occasion. You know how rich they are, what what sort of part of society they might come from, what their their taste is, what their fashionability is. So though you you know as you said, everyone can wear a kimono. It's kind of genderless. Um, from you know men, women, children, whatever social class you are, you wear kimono from the. Sort of 16th century in Japan, it was the it was the principal item that everybody wore in Japan, although it's not so much the case now. So so it's, it's really about the decorations. So
1: this is tell, tell, wait say, wait, tell us about the decorations. I want to know more about yes. those. So you so talked about the eagle and the flowers yes. a little bit. What 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 more? Well, it can be drawn from
0: all sorts of things. Nature is always a big inspiration for kimono motifs. So um, you mentioned the one that it, that the kimono that we've looked at that's come out of the box has got trees on it these are pine trees and the ones that in the, the kimono that's in the show that's very similar that also has pine trees but um shaped in a slightly different way but they're still pine trees and pine is a um a symbol of uh sort of resilience because the pine tree It's always green all year round, even in the depths of winter. So it's that idea of things being preserved and and finding strength from that. And the kimono in the uh, exhibition also has bamboo on it. And bamboo, again, is seen as a sort of mark of something of survival and resilience. The bamboo bends in the wind, but never
1: breaks. (laughs) I love that saying. (laughs) Yeah, it's wonderful.
0: (laughs) and they're 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 two of the friends of winter as they're known the other friend of winter is the plum blossom as you know the japanese love their blossoms and the plum blossom is the first blossom to to uh, to come out in, in the new year in the spring so again it's this idea about uh, looking forward to the spring, looking forward to new life. So the motifs often carry uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, connotations to wish people good luck or to look for a nice future. Sometimes in that height of summer, you might wear a kimono which has got a motif that's more associated with autumn awesome or spring because you're trying to invoke the notion of cooler times.
1: Mm. I, I, I'm uh, wondering, is there is there a decoration or a motif that is kind of a no-no? Is there something you can't put on there?
0: really these days you know people are quite um extravagant sometimes you get one of the most popular um exhibits in the exhibition we found in uh, in London, I don't know if it'll be the same in Gothenburg, we have a kimono. It's not one of the fanciest ones in the show by any means, but it has skeletons on it. <laughs> and it's a, it's a sort of early 19th century kimono. People love this idea because it seemed rather gothic, rather subversive, a bit odd to put skeletons on a kimono. But we just think it it is related to a very famous uh, actor from the Kabuki Theatre who played a notorious female thief and wore on stage a costume with skeletons on, so we think that might have inspired the garment that we have in the exhibition. So you can use anything, and it's quite clever. It's this idea. Sometimes people refer to poetry or, or particular stories, like the the Tale of Genji or something, and it's almost like showing off in that way uh, that you're you know you're up with the classics. You're you're very well read. And it, but it's also a bit of a guessing game. And we often, you know, we, we make assumptions about people from what they're wearing or, you know, what kind of clothes they're wearing. And you can do that very well through the kimono because you're actually literally saying something about yourself because of the motifs that you're choosing.
1: Miyako, I know that you actually, you make your own kimonos, right? Yeah. So how do you think about when, or what do you think about when you choose the decoration or the motif?
2: Well, it, it pretty much depends. It's just like Anna said. A lot of what I've understood and a lot of my studies have come to the conclusion that in Japan you would usually use there's some sort of timeless like decorations that works all year round. And some of the more traditional ways or what has now become more of a tradition is that you would use very bright colors because in Japan winter is one of the darkest times of the year. So you would wear bright colors to brighten people's days or when you're in the summer and it can get up to 40 celsius warm i mean it's very warm people would wear like i've seen this beautiful over jacket for kimono that had snowflakes on it which a girl wore to this bright orange kimono which had water motifs which makes you kind of feel really zen and cool and it's a nice um it's a nice aesthetic to look at i love kimonos because or kimono. I love kimono because I'm really fascinated by the tailoring. Like, yeah, tell
1: I because you make them. That's amazing.
2: Well, yeah, I <laughs> I love making things with my hands, and just the fact over it's it's a simple garment, but it's so non-simple at the same time because there is pieces and the techniques for sewing it. Because it, you don't the idea of a kimono is that you're supposed to be able to reuse it so like when we talked about the deconstruction you would have this whole piece of garment or the fabric and then you would cut it and there wouldn't be a lot of slivers of fabric left but you would sew those into the fabric as well because you would be able to reuse them if you had a hole or if you needed to take it out in a couple places you would never usually cut it like we do in the west where you have like a seam allowance where. Maybe it's like a quarter of an inch, an inch, a couple centimeters. They would actually keep up to about five, even 10 centimeters, depending on your body size, because the fabric would always be reused. And um, I just, I love the way that um, most of the kimonos are traditionally sewn where the stitching is only alignment stitch. It just goes all the way through and you would usually have the needle in one hand and you would turn the fabric upside down like move it back and forth back and forth to get the needle to go all the way through and that's kind of because when you need to clean a kimono you need to deconstruct it because you can't you know wash it normally you have to wash the pieces separately you have to pick it all apart basically. pick it all apart and then you would construct it again by resewing all the pieces back together again
0: And and there is a sense of sort of um, the use and the reuse and also making kimono. That's how the kimono are made to begin with. So you would um, historically, uh, the kimono merchant would orchestrate all the skills of all the different people who would create a kimono. And the kimono would be put together, the kimono fabric, once it was woven, put together. And the design might be drawn on it in usually in soluble ink and then separated again. And then the parts would be sent to, first of all, to the dye workshop and then sent back to the merchants and then sent to the embroidery workshop and then sent back to the merchants. And in the end, they'd put all the pieces back together again and hope that they aligned. And sometimes there's a bit of misalignment if people haven't, the embroiderers haven't quite embroidered to the pattern. And often, of course, when they get taken apart, but back together again, sometimes they're realigned. Because keep, apart from summer kimono, uh, kimono are usually lined to give them a bit of extra warmth and extra weight. But sometimes, they're, you know, they're, they're relined um, and then that, that gets misaligned. And then sometimes they are completely altered. There was quite a thing in the late 19th century when more people were able to wear more silk garments. Um, they would use earlier garments and altered them. And sometimes when you're looking at a pattern even, you think this pattern's not working. It takes you a while to realise they've taken a bit of fabric from one part of the garment and put it on another part or change the sleeves around or something to to reuse the fabric as well as they can for something that possibly was damaged in some way so they they have this quite a long life and I think that's part of their appeal now, even the sort of sustainability. I think even with kimono, the, there's quite a kimono renaissance going on in Japan at the moment, which is one reason we thought it would be nice to have an exhibition at this point. People are kind of rediscovering the kimono. And that's partly through a younger generation who, who, who are, are sort of fighting against the ubiquity of Western fast fashion. And they want something that's sustainable, something they can style up in a different way each year but something that, that they can treasure and, uh, and keep for a long time. Hmm, how
1: wonderful.
2: It, it's amazing. I And to go back a little to what Anna was saying earlier about like the garments, you know, fitting most people and it would be not as cut into the body. I, I love the aesthetics because Japanese culture does have a lot with straight lines and very minimalism. And I believe that that is part of why the kimono is so beautiful to look at is because it is straight lines. I'm okay. It goes a lot of padding and a lot of string that attach it all. But once you see it perfectly put together, it is just beautifully seeing all these sharp, clean lines and folds and it looks effortless. It's it is a moving piece of art. Would you agree, Anna?
1: Yeah,
0: I think yeah. The way that some um, community designers use the surface of the cloth as well to create it is a bit like a sort of um, looking at a um, looking at a picture. It's a bit like a hanging scroll or something. If we look at this, this is a, a whole image of a, of a of a bird, as you say, an eagle sitting on the rock with its outstretched wings, with the um, with the pine trees around. And then there's this lovely gradation where the the main pitch is against a paler ground. Whereas the other bits are dark, as you say, a kind of darkish blue. So this idea that you're sort of almost looking as an image, you can, you know, it looks beautiful just hung up like that, you know. And I think that's what's very appealing about kimono, and that's why we tend to display them, you know, just hung up very simply on what we, we call a tea bar stand because people can appreciate that. But we also uh, want people to remember that they're in, um, these are clothes, you know, these are things to wear. So they almost get animated by people's. Uh, people's movement, which is quite interesting. So you see quite a lot of kimono that have, um, towards the hem, they might have water, an image of water. And with historic garments that would have been worn by high-ranking women, particularly, they wouldn't have been wearing these to do the housework or walking around the streets, whatever. They'd wear them inside and the hems would, would hang on the ground. So in a sense, the water was on the ground level. It was falling down the side of the kimono onto the pool at the bottom. So it's all like, a, like a, sort of e- a picture that comes alive because you're wearing it, which is rather wonderful.
1: But I also like the way you, that you describe it, Mikau, a, a moving piece of art, because it does depend on from what angle you look at it as well. Mm. Now, we, the way we sit here, we look at it from the back, right? And that's the centerpiece. Yes. But from the front, it looks a little bit more modest, I would say. So I guess it also depends a little bit from yes. how you, if you see the person from the front or the yes.
0: back. And it's also they use a, a, even a, a, a sort of a, a type of painting in Japan, which is sort of referred to as beauty looking backwards. And it's the image of a woman looking over her shoulder, which you're seeing from the back. So you can still see the woman's face, but you're seeing her from the back because the back of the kimono was always the most important, because this is the biggest expanse of cloth where you would see the whole image. Whereas on the front, because it's got the collar and the overlap, and it's wrapped, that's where it's wrapped around the body, it breaks up the image a little bit. Always having it from the back was very much a sort of, um, so you see particularly in the 17th and 18th century, into the 19th century, when the obby, the sash around the middle, became itself much more extravagant and wider and tended to be more patterned, then the imagery tended to fall up to the bottom of the kimono, to the hem or the sleeve ends, and sometimes moved all the way onto the front, so the back would just be quite plain with this amazing obby tied in a great bow or some extravagant way. But the front would have the patterning on. So it does change a little bit through time. Another thing is about things like what the lining's like or what's inside the hem. Uh, because as, as as someone walks along, particularly as a woman's walking along, you get that uh, sense of um a flick at the ankle so you can see the lining. Or you can just see the under kimono at the collar end or at the sleeve ends. And that was always something very uh, interesting to pick perhaps the colours of your undergarments, be slightly contrasted to the top, but also this could be sometimes quite provocative. So red was seen as very sort of uh, glamorous Uh, quite sensual colour and so it's very popular to have red as your lining or your undergarment because it's quite sexy just to catch a glimpse of it as a woman walks by. So there's all these different kinds of sort of languages bound up in what is essentially a simple garment. So as Miyako says there's this sort of contrast between what is apparently quite simple in construction and this layering and complexity of, of the meaning of what it's like when it's worn about what you can interpret it and and all these ideas of designs being so different i mean the kimono that you've taken out of the box is very similar to the one we have in the show you know, the, it's the same kind of garment and it has the same motif but in other ways the way the eagle is is positioned and drawn and the different techniques used, it's different you know so this is a sort of infinite variety with kimono which i think is it's in, is, is incredible once you starts sort of looking at them, no, very few kimono are the same. And of course, you individualize it as you wear with your different obby styles or your different accessories. So you can make it very individual to you. And I think that's very nice as well.
2: I, I find it absolutely amazing when people do that. I mean, one of my favorite things is the obi, And I, everything from these small belts that you wear on the front of the obi, And they usually they would have, like, in the antique ones, you could get ceramic little figures or, like, little grapes or leaves or bamboo, and they can made with gold. I mean, there are little accessories that you put in the front of it to just glamorize more of the appearance. And the layering also with the OB is that, you know, the fabrics that you choose. I mean, when you can choose your layers, you could either try to infuse and choose Colors that are matching your Kimono or some of the best ones that I've seen is where they've just gone the other way where they choose in the base color. Let's say it's white and then it has like a blue and green floral pattern on it. And so they went and they took a black obi with golden threads and silver threads, which is a high contrast to the white fabric, but it creates this beautiful Mm. silhouette and look of contrasting colors where the person could have used and just because of the blue and green flowers. They could have used the bluish OB with maybe green details, which also is a beautiful look in itself. But sometimes when you just embellish that look and create more depths into it, you can create layers that are just, as I said, it's a working or it's a walking piece of art to me. That's what I see it as. And, I do that with my kimonos. I hang, I have traditional seasonal kimonos where I have one for spring, one for winter, one for summer and one for autumn. And I have this tea bar in my living room and uh, that is of course protected from the sunlight, but I have it right against the sidewall. And so once once I feel like the season is starting to change, I will switch out my kimono to have the look at. And I, I, I love that part of having that collection to be able to look at them.
1: Is that something that you you personally just do? is that a tradition that you picked up from somewhere else?
2: I picked up... My grandmother had one kimono uh, that I remember. She used to have these scrolls in her living room, and she had one that she would put out sometimes. I found it very beautiful. And uh, I kind of... I've always been enthusiastic about Japanese culture, Asian culture. I find um their artistic techniques, very fascinating. And so I took on that for myself. Once I inherited her kimono collection, I started collecting my own pieces. And that's where I started to hang them up and started. I took one of these old, really damaged ones. And I picked it apart. I deconstructed it. And then I started the sew one and I found out that it's a lot harder than it looks to get everything to be sharp and very stiff where it needs to be stiff in the alignments and just the thin, thin, small little, um, thread lines in between and depending on where you're doing it and the alignment is as anna said the inner alignment of the kimono is probably one of the most difficult things i have ever attempted to do (laughs) but it's fun in
1: in the introduction i i i said that this episode was going to be about the passion of kimonos and i definitely think that comes through when you talk about them like this and when you talk about where this interest of yours come from. But I'm also interested in you, Anna. Where does your would would you say passion is a good good word to describe yes. your, your fascination of kimonos? It was
0: complete luck for me. I mean it's it, it, you know it's born of my job really, because um, I just studied Western art history at university. So when I joined the VNA, I ended up, to my surprise, in the East Asian section, which was not something I knew anything about at the time. Um And because I've done Western um, art history, a lot of the research I did to begin with, and I continue to do, is looking at the impact of of Japanese culture on Western culture and Western dress, and that comes out in the exhibition. But like all my colleagues around me, they were all experts on particular things, we've got prints or or ceramics, so I had to decide what I was going to specialise in. So for me, it was a purely subjective decision. I did it very
1: much with my heart rather than my head. Do you have any other kind of pieces in the exhibition that you love? Miyake?
2: Um I do enjoy. I think that you have done an amazing job Anna with putting this together. I, no, I, it's it is probably one of the most beautiful things I've seen and I love I love the way that it travels just from the beginning of like the 1660s and, and it moves forward and I love the thought of like the Victorian era a little bit like mm, the red, the red part of it. What, what would you say? Is that more like the 18th century, Anna? The central section of the show, the red section, is where we look at the
0: kimono in the world, the sort of global interaction. So, if you're thinking of the the period, that's looking at the kimono in the late 19th century, probably.
2: Probably that's the one. I mean, I, the, the 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 just the tailored jacket for the man. Is, oh, yes. is a beautiful piece. The brodery on the flowers and the Wait, front part.
1: Wait, there's a tailored jacket?
2: Yes. Me. We that haven't is. talked about
1: jackets. Yeah. Tell me more about jackets then. No, no, there's something slightly different. We, You can wear a kimono
0: jacket, which is called a haori, which was um, up until the sort of late 19th century was always worn just by men, but is now worn by women. But what Miyako is referring to there is um, is a a smoking jacket and trousers that was made in Yokohama, uh, retailed, we think, by a company, uh, a merchant called Shino Shobe, who um, established what could possibly be called the world's first global fashion brand in 1859, because this was the time when Japan had been forced to open its doors to sort of Western trade and he was a very enterprising kimono merchant he realized you know there was you know this was a new market so he uh, employed the um skills and the techniques and the material that we use in japan to make kimono to make garments for the west in a western shape so this would be the kind of thing that you might buy in liberties in london for example so it's a very very stylish uh so it so it's completely western in shape but it's made of beautiful Japanese silk, and it's got beautiful Japanese embroidery. So we were trying to show that the, that the this sort of notion of a sort of East-West dichotomy—you know—that there's a division between East and West—it was very much more about dialogue, a fusion, perhaps a fusion. Yes. So this was about somebody who was, you know, skilled merchant of, of, of kimono originally and started to make things specifically for the west meanwhile then of course kimono also traveled to the west and then became very fashionable particularly for women it showed that you were quite sort of avant-garde and artistic in your taste to wear the kimono and there was a lot of there was a lot of interaction and dialogue um, and the japanese started to make uh, what they actually called as kimono for foreigners so kimono specifically for western export where they were very Often very sort of uh, satiny kind of silk, very bold embroidery, and indeed, they'd even put big extra panels uh, in at the seams to make them not quite as straight, so they would drape more as a skirt. So so Western women could wear them over petticoats, or whatever. So there is this amazing sort of dialogue. Uh,
2: between Japan and the rest of the world, and from my perspective, with tailoring, I am I love historical clothing, I love costume clothing. Um, I do time periods is probably my favorites, and to see the mixture in this exhibition of where it moves from just traditional kimono, and then Westerners' garments, and the mixture in between. There is one gown in there that is absolutely beautiful. It's dark blue purplish and it has, I want to say it's hanging flowers, but it might be grapes.
0: No, it's wisteria. Wisteria, wisteria yes. that's the
2: word for it. Thank you. I forgot the name of it. What's
1: that? What's
2: that? It's this floral pattern that hangs down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has like these soft blue, little um, purplish uh, flowers on this deep, deep, um, dark purple silk. And they've even made this um, mid mid uh, mid waist belt, and it looks just like an obi, but it's in the same pattern or the same uh, silk fabric as the um, the. Um, the garment itself so it's not like the traditional be where it's a different color or it's some action it actually just goes together in this beautiful silhouette that creates this um time period dress
0: mm. Mm. i mean that's exactly the one i was i was thinking of the one that was specific that is specifically a kimono for foreigners um and we found you know like uh, in shops you can see adverts like um In the book uh we we borrowed from the harrods archive you know harrods the famous department store in london you know they had an advert for their kimono that were exactly like that where actually as you say not an obby so in japan we think of the sort of shape on the body as being quite straight as well but this this sash would be tied quite tight at your waist giving you that that sort of you know lovely waistline that you know everyone in, in europe always aspires to so it was it was sort of japanese understanding exactly what westerners would like and wisteria this beautiful hanging flower that you get in sort of may time was very very popular at the beginning of the century um i think japanese wisteria was uh, introduced although wisteria had been introduced from china earlier in the west i think there was a sort of vogue for wisteria japanese wisteria at that time and now you get a lot of it on kimono and you even find it on um things like if you think of tiffany lamps they help have enough or it's all part of that same vogue for wisteria so um that's a, that's a very, that's one of our most popular, uh, popular items in the show, actually, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think for obvious reasons, we talked a lot now about the VNA exhibition that is now visiting um, here in Gothenburg. But Miyako, you also have some of your personal kimonos to be exhibited here at the museum. How does that feel? <laughs>
2: It's an it's an honor. It's a truly amazing experience. I am so fortunate to be able to show some of my favorite pieces that I inherited from my grandmother, or a couple that I have um, acquired myself from collecting. And I'm also gonna put out a reconstructed version of um, kimono that is um, from the movie Ghost in the Shell which is a sci-fi version of the traditional geisha but also robot so it's very sci-fi futuristic so i tailored this i probably put in over 900 hours in creating this (laughs) garment and so i'm gonna put it in there it's it's a cosplay i mean it's not it's not original it is somebody else's idea but
1: yeah what's that though cosplay
2: cosplay is um, where you would take either a famous hero character or a movie character or an anime character and that has become very popular in today's society that you would take a fictional character and create the full garment that they're wearing in either the game or the anime series or something and then you would create it for yourself. It's become such a big thing that they do have fashion shows, they do have conventions there are
0: conventions yes yes i know what you I mean yeah yeah where i mean often it's linked with you know sort of comic con kind of conventions yes. where people are particularly really fond of particular manga manga or anime or particular films you know because if you go to a convention that's about you know sci-fi films everyone's dressed up as their favorite character and it, it's a real um it's quite an exciting world it's also people are
2: incredibly creative and inventive in in, in sort of recreating these these garments i've actually seen a lot of the kimono in the younger generation through this with cosplay especially from a video game called final fantasy there is a lot of with the long sleeves and the long draped arms and just the obi especially the obi and a lot of the video game characters and from Japan, this game, uh, a lot of girls reconstruct these garments Mm -hmm. and clothes. And some of them will use um, vintage kimonos and some will sew them directly. But I've seen a lot of that change into like these really Mm -hmm. anime characters where it's become um, party garment. Or, I mean, they even have competitions where you can win good chunks of money (laughs) if you have a good enough... um, costume
1: because anna yeah. you, you were saying that in the beginning that there's a renaissance you were saying mm. with kimonos mm. now at the moment in Japan and and would this be one explanation perhaps or i, I think or so a a result.
0: helping i think younger people rediscover kimono because if you're doing you know if you if you if you're really interested in that kind of culture of of these particular films or characters then you you from that you can often develop a love of of the, gar- the original garments um yes that, yeah but there has been a bit of a renaissance because i think in in japan after the war obviously the the uh there was a real decline in people wearing kimono uh it ceased to be like an everyday garment that everyone would wear and only became this sort of codified costume that you'd wear when you were a baby or a child or when you were getting married or for a graduation ceremony or whatever you wouldn't often wear a kimono for any other time so that's. And then they were very expensive. I mean, to wear a, a garment, uh, you know, sort of high-end, beautifully made, was expensive. So it, the kimono industry looked like it really might like, die out completely in Japan. And then it was it was a younger generation who, who, as I say, perhaps a slight reaction against West fashion, Western fashion, started to buy vintage garments and style them up their own way. And then that's been a bit of a revival of of, of people who started to make kimonos. So. That's what I've noticed a lot in Japan. You know, when I first put started going there in the early nineties, you would never see you would rarely see anyone in a kimono unless they perhaps they were elder, more elderly people, or if you went to a fancy restaurant or tea ceremony or something. Whereas now I'm seeing more and more people, young, particularly younger people on the streets wearing kimono. And for the kimono designers, that was another really lovely part of doing the show was to go and meet these um these these younger designers were new generation designers and talked to them a little bit about what they were doing or why they were doing. Some of them have come from a background where their, you know, you know, their father or their grandfather made kimono, so they, they have that in their sort of blood, if you like, whereas others have come from a completely different kind of background. And they're often make you know, they make kimono in in these you know, in the in the standard shape of kimono. They don't particularly make cosplay, but but they that they often have quite sort of fun imagery or new imagery and there's a real difference between ones that were quite very high end what we could call couture um down to sort of people with much more sort of indie brands if you like um who do a lot of pop-up shows and i think it's incredibly um inspiring
1: to see this and
0: I can only hope that this will sort of continue and a lot of because these young makers...
1: I, I, I want to I finish there with one, one final yeah. question about what do you think the future holds and you're, you're going in that direction Anna so you start and then Miak.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean as I say we you know we thought Kimono might be dying out so I'd like to think that the, that you know that the people would um, choose Kimono really as just another item in your fashionable wardrobe You know, it would no longer be a difference between something boring and and rather old fashioned that in Japan anyway, you just think, well, you might wear jeans and a T-shirt one day and you might wear a kimono the next or you might style them up together. And I think for people in the West as well to think about how influential the kimono has been, to to take a bit of influence from that in their own sartorial style. And just to think that, that, you know, the kimono has, well, our, our exhibitions tried. To show, as Miyako says, it changes over, over the time scale it deals with, that although the basic principles of the kimono and the shape and things have, have stayed the same, there is this long dynamic history and a dynamic history of interchange. And that I hope will continue, really.
1: And what about you, Miyako? What do you think the future holds?
2: well I do believe the same I mean I can see it in a lot of things I can see it in for example the African kimono that we have in the entrance here I can see how a lot of new artistic ways and thankfully a lot of the ways of creating traditional kimonos are preserved and I do enjoy that it is not just a craftsmanship but it's also a piece of art it's beautiful just in its own and I do think that The younger generation, I can see it now with just vintage and flea market shopping and recreating and creating your own garments. And I think we're going to go back into a trend where that is going to be a big thing. I can see it already now. And I do think that this is going to be preserved in recreating. I mean, there is some beautiful pieces in the exhibition as well that is new thinking and new creating. And it's not just this stiff garment that you take out of your grandmother's closet it actually has a story and a life and as a person that collects kimonos i i always think about that i was thinking about that just when you said that anna is that they are created by someone that has Taken their time to order this and commission this product, brought it home, spend a lot of time from it. So when I ever look at my kimonos, I think about where they were created. And some of my really old ones that I have, I really want to preserve them because probably somebody had to give them up after the war. The war. And it might have been really tragic. It might have been a family heirloom. It might have been something. And where it ends up in the world, it should be preserved. And... I do believe that it's going to continue living on in either a new creative way or that it's also going to continue in its traditional way. It's a timeless piece.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Miyako. It has been a real pleasure to talk to both of you today.
2: Thank Thank you so much.